You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where people know the hashtag symbol, is for more than social media. At the top of the hour this hour, Deke Sharon has announced another new project in partnership with Columbia Artists. In early 2020, we're going to see a new acapella tour called Acapella Live. It will feature Committed, the winners of season two of the sing-off, plus sing-off alum The Philharmonic, and American Idol runner-up Blake Lewis, and the 2017 Aka Open champions, Women of the World. With that lineup, it's sure to be an incredible show. No tour dates have been announced yet, but you can catch a sizzle reel on YouTube and follow along for updates. We'll be sure to bring you the latest here at Acaville.org. Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Tacapella. I'm your host, John Lampus. And while I am normally joined by my co-host, Brian Alexander, at this time of this recording, he's actually getting married, like right now. So uh, unfortunately, he can't be here. But I'm super excited to be joined by another Brian this week, Brian Kirkness. Brian, how's it going, man? Great. How are you doing? You know, I'm pretty good. I just got off of like my Last day of student teaching in service. There's lots of kids swarming around and it just it was kind of scary, but it, it was pretty good. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I can start with just kind of my musical endeavors or how I got an acapella, but let me just take it back to the beginning. Please do. Where in uh, my household, when you were in elementary school, you were required to play an instrument. Ah. And so I, I picked up the trumpet because I thought it would be the easiest. There's only three valves. <laughs> I didn't didn't realize that would require require a lot of uh, mouth muscles at that time. Yeah, so, I'm sure. So I played uh, trumpet through college. Got into singing a little bit in high school because of a pretty girl, as a lot of us do. Continued that in college, but I was really introduced to acapella. I think my junior or senior year in high school, somebody introduced me to the trench coats at the time. Now the coats brought me to a live show and just kind of blew my mind with what you can really do with the human voice and performance and got me hooked on that. And then at Shoreline Community College, uh, I was introduced to Impact as they were starting. One of the guys at the college was in the group and one of the piano players, uh, adjunct professors, if you will, was Mm -hmm. in the group. And so it just kind of blew my mind and got me really interested from there. Um, Outside of acapella and music, I'm a big animal lover, do a lot of dog rescue with my wife, and work in the tech industry, of course. Very cool. And you're based in Seattle, right? Yep. Yeah, hoping to move up there one of these years. Brian, it sounds like your experience with acapella, I've been interviewing a lot of people, both me and my co-host. We we often hear from people a similar story of like, yeah, I did choir, I did this musical thing, and then I saw an acapella group and my mind was blown. And that seems to always be like the pivot point. Can you talk a little bit more about, uh, you said it was a live acapella concert, what that was like for you? Yeah, there's a very formative two or three years. So in high school, I saw the trench coats and Mm -hmm. um, musically, they were really good. But entertainment wise, they just captured me from the moment they started. Not necessarily my musical style, but they were so entertaining and so engaging and just even on stage doing their thing just seemed like friendly people. And that's uh, not something you always see a lot when you watch MTV growing up or whatever, <laughs> right? These They seemed approachable and that was really uh, unique to me and interesting. Then in college, I got 
introduced a little bit more to acapella with Impact. And then I saw the House Jacks live and naturally nice. Seven Live the year they won Harmony Sweepstakes. And to this day, those three groups will still blow your mind live. Um, you saw a lot of different groups. lineups now, of course, and different sounds. Yeah. So it was Trench Coach and Other Coats. Impact and House Jacks. Something I, I've started two of my own acapella groups in undergrad and grad school. And I found when I was doing those and when I've been in other acapella groups, I often like take my favorite groups and I try to incorporate something I've seen from them into my group, whether it's an arrangement or whether it's the way they stand or the way they handle humor. I'm curious, seeing these three big groups and considering the impact they had on you, have you seen how they have influenced how you approach acapella besides just getting you into it, but how you actually do acapella. Absolutely. Um, So over the last couple decades as I've been doing this off and on, I typically come back to musically impacts all about the harmony being Mm -hmm. the, the album that inspires me. And part of that is because I saw them grow. I saw what they did in the album and what they could do on stage and it all really connected. A lot of times now you'll hear massive overdubbings and and whatnot, which I very much encourage. I encourage all the special effects, like love it. But when you see a group do live what they can do on an album, that's super impressive. And so I kind of always fell back to impact. And whether I got stuck in that realm or that era or not, I don't know. But I think we all latch on our favorite groups or bands or whatever it might be and kind of idolize that in some regard. I don't know if idolize is the right word, but no, I, th- I think so. And I don't think it's a bad word either where acapella is such an open art and everyone's super inviting. Uh, you know, you can post on the Casa Facebook group and just get a bunch of people like, yeah, here's like 50 arrangements that I've done. It's a very open uh, environment and community and one that is based on taking something and making it your own. You're taking a piece by, I don't know, Gnarls Barkley, like Straight No Chaser did with Crazy, and they're making it their own. So I think it makes a lot of sense. You would see something like, hey, that works. I want to see if that works in uh, in what I end up doing. And then you also mentioned stage presence and like being entertainers. And that is something I am not qualified to talk about. You know why? Because I'm really, really bad at it. In the two groups I've started, both like after I've left, they've always like, hey, we should work on stage presses. And that's always been kind of like a, that's been like a hole of mine. And I, and I recognize that. What was it about the stage presence of these groups that got you in? Because as acapella grows, I think the entertainment aspect of it just, you know, gets higher and higher with stuff like the sing off or straight no chaser. They have like, they have the lights, they have the glitz, they have the glam. So what was it about that that drew you into it when you were watching the coats? Yeah, well, the coats are a different breed altogether. Um, they're, they have a lot more humor. Um, I feel like they're a little over the top in a good way of just trying to engage the audience and being who, who they are as genuine people, but amplifying that. Like, and they're a lot of fun. They're just, they're just fun. They're funny. They're kind of corny in a, in a great humorous way. Then you see impact to me at that time was, oh, super cool. This is in the time of the, Rise of the Boy Bands and whatnot, right? Yeah. And Impact had that just cool kind of boy band vibe. And then the House Jacks to me were just, I know that's their tagline, the rock band without instruments, but they really just owned the stage. They had a power that was kind of shocking considering they didn't have the instruments to hide behind with the drums and the guitars. Um, And they just showed up with an attitude. And between the three of those, I kind of loved something different from all of them. So when I've had groups, I've kind of tried to pull what I thought were the best elements of those 
based off the people in my group at that time. You can't force it, whatever it is. You just have to, to see who's in the group and the personalities that are there. I totally agree. And I think that's how we get a wide array of different acapella groups in that I remember, I think in my first group, I heavily kind of based it off or I was inspired by uh, the Crossmen from uh, St. Olaf. They're a small group. My friends started there and I was like, we're going to do this arrangement. They did it and we're going to do this. And and it was almost a little bit, it was leaning almost into Crossman Jr. a little bit in that it was like, or Crossman like the sequel. And when I got just a little pushback. Some of the members were like, you know, this really isn't us. And even though we were inspired by the Crossmen and some things that the group still does to this day are based on that foundation, they've taken, I don't know, let's say 20% of the Crossmen and that is part of their identity. But the other 80% is them finding their own influences. And I think that's super important for acapella groups. And it's, it's not a bad thing to kind of start with an idea from another group, use it, and then you build your own off of that. If you're doing this exact same arrangements and you have the same lineup and everything, that gets a little, it's a little weird. But I think being inspired and borrowing liberally as a foundation makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm also curious, Brian, what was your college acapella experience like? Cause you mentioned doing it in high school. And I feel like a lot of us like, we're like, Oh yeah, acapella is a thing when we're in high school. And then it seems like for a lot of people, college is like, the moment it kind of takes off and we have the opportunity to do it. So what was that like for you? Yeah, I'm not even sure I really realized in high school that acapella was a thing. I saw the coats um, and Boys Men had a couple big hits that were acapella then. But but at that point in time, I still wasn't sold, <laughs> if you yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I just went to a local community college and hooked up with a bunch of guys who were already very into it. And we're loving it. And they were welcoming to me, which was funny because they're all way better singers. I've never, <laughs> you know, that's kind of been my pride is building groups that are way better than me. Um, <laughs> and they invited me in and we had a lot of fun, but they taught me a lot about what it can really be to bring your voices together and enjoy that on stage. I wouldn't say we were great performers. I think that comes with just... Some people are just naturals, but a lot of time that just takes experience and more time on stage than we had at yeah. 18 and 19 years old. I, I think that's totally true. And I know the idea of like, are we singing for an audience? Or are we singing for ourselves is something a lot of groups have to wrestle with in that when we go to rehearsal and we re rehearse this stuff, I'm thinking of, okay, we got to get this in tune so we have the best performance. And then when we go out and sing and if it's in tune, I feel like, wow. That was great. And then sometimes we go out and perform and it's maybe not as quite in tune or it's not as great. The guys generally still have a good time because they're getting that performance high. They're getting the recognition. So it's this almost like skill versus fun. And I think that's a balance that everybody like has to find. So what was the group you were in called in, in uh, college? Oh, uh, it was kind of the same five or six guys off and on for quite a few years. I think we mm -hmm. had Aftershock. And Rapid Pulse and Aftershock came after a night of drinking of poorly, <laughs> poorly named liquor. Um, and then Rapid Pulse was a couple years later, I believe. Um, and again, mostly the same guys off and on. We stuck mm -hmm. around for probably four or five years. Um, and even to my most recent group, two of the guys that I met almost 20 years ago in college helped me found it. 20 years of singing acapella off and on together has been a lot of fun. I Hopefully you can't find any tracks of <laughs> either of those groups. I have them, but I'm not going to share them. That's, <laughs> I get that. So was this group the most recent one you're talking about? Uh, was that Restless Vocal Band? 
It was, and yeah. I'm really, I'm really excited. Uh, I think we founded that as Five Bit initially mm-hmm. um, about six or seven years ago because most of us worked in the video game industry at that time, nice. and it was it was kind of a nod. To oh yeah. Eight bit video games. Wait, what games uh, did you work on? Screw the acapella stuff. I'm a gamer, man. What's what's? Uh, I've I've worked on a ton of stuff from like FIFA '99 to some what? Harry Potter games. Uh, Crash. Wait, did you work on the Harry Potter like computer games like Sorcerer's I Stone? Did. I oh my did. God! They didn't tell me we booked a celebrity today. This is uh, uh. this is big for me. Um, <laughs> that's that's really cool. So you took inspiration from your career. You said it was called Five Bit, the group you yes. started. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and we did a few things here and there and it was five guys that worked out well. Um, and then we decided to branch out a little bit and add some people and, and we kind of at one point had to take a step back and say, all right, we're six people now. We're a very different group than we were a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. So worth kind of a rebrand and it was. And so we branded into restless vocal band. And then even of course, as you know, uh, for people that do it semi-professionally, the the group membership changes mm-hmm. pretty regularly as much as you'd like it not to, you know, life gets in the way. People get married, have children, jobs take priority, whatever it might be. And, uh, so I recently left the group about, I don't know, a few months ago and I'm really excited to see what they can do now. Their new lineup is going to be incredible. It's been a blast. Some of my best friends and most amazing musicians I've ever had a chance to work with, but it, at some point you have to step back and and say, "Hey, I'm doing. I'm leaving so that the group can improve and progress." I know what you mean. I've been, uh, like I mentioned before, I I'd started a group in um, both undergrad and grad school, and I was toying with the idea of, "Oh, would I want to start post collegiate group?" I like starting groups. I like being really intimately involved with what they do. But post collegiate sounds like it is a completely different beast in that you are no longer competing with. Uh, well, I have stats at 9 a.m. or first period I have this, you're now competing with, I have a wife or like, I have to go home and walk the dog. You are competing against real life. So can you talk a little bit more about that in regards to what it was like in Restless Vocal Band? Because as someone who's never really been in a post-collegiate group, I'm always super curious about like what the dynamics, like what it's like balancing responsibilities and what the overall vibe is. Yeah, it's tough. And I think everybody understands that getting into it, but every now and then it it fluctuates just like any group. Um, But because of those commitments, uh, a couple of us traveled regularly for work nationally and internationally. So that puts us unavailable for rehearsals and or gigs and trying to book gigs. You want to, as a business owner, get back to people within a a reasonable window. Yeah. Um, but if people are traveling and haven't updated you on their availability or, or what it might be, it can be challenging. Um, and then also just sometimes things come up last minute for gigs. You have a gig booked and all of a sudden somebody's baby shows up three weeks early. <laughs> um, you know, and yeah. you have to be able to adjust uh, musically and communicate to your client that, hey, this might not be exactly what you're anticipating, but it'll be amazing. Don't worry about it. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe we shouldn't even told you, but feel you deserve that. So it is that constant balance of work, life, family, and ongoing things that that you don't really worry about so much in your 20s. Totally. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm really curious. I often found in my uh, grad school group, Mountain Horns at CSU, the vibe of the group and how we felt we were doing and the overall just dynamic was very much influenced by if people were there, if there were like three or four people who just didn't show up, either they didn't tell us that they had something, the vibe in the room would be kind of like, yeah, whatever. Or even if, let's say like two people had an excused absence, they had a band concert that night. 
because those two people weren't there. The vibe is just different. So I'm really curious what the group identity and feel of the group was when you have these things that are just like, hey, I have a baby, so I will not be at rehearsal. What is the vibe of the group when real life gets in the way and how does that affect how the group coalesces and the culture of the group and the identity? That's a really good question. Um, I think it, at least for us, obviously I can't speak for everybody. Um, for us, it kind of depended on where we were at in our performance cycle. Mm-hmm. If we had an upcoming gig that we were very comfortable, we had everything down. Oh, it's only an hour show. We've got it all nailed. No big deal. Take your time. Versus, oh crap, we have a two-hour gig in a week and we're not really ready for that. And we have all these songs that we have in our backlog that we run only when we know we have a two-hour gig coming up. That puts a little more stress on everybody, and then it requires, doesn't require, but we would go out of our way to try and add an additional rehearsal day, and then, okay, you can't make it tonight, can you do Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever it might be, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and trying to get six or seven adults with families and careers to do last-minute scheduling is, of course, quite challenging, yeah. and so that would generally dampen spirits a little bit restless in its own it's actually a pretty happy-go-lucky group of people and that made a lot of fun but there's still those challenges absolutely i remember the first year i tried to start mountain horns it was kind of like a false start of a semester we we got going but uh, it was five of us and we laid out our schedules and we just like couldn't like people just had classes they couldn't reschedule they had commitments that they couldn't change so i think we had like a 40 minute rehearsal, like in between classes that always got cut short. And then a Saturday one that really never ended up happening. So the, the text thread would always be, Hey, uh, this doesn't work. And just constantly trying to reschedule. And so much time was focused on, Hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And so much of our energy was put towards not just getting the music together, but just getting the people together. And it, it wasn't fun in the sense of like, wow, we're putting all our energy into just trying to be like, essentially functional in being a group that meets and rehearses. And that was, you know, just five college kids. You know, it made me a little like kind of grumpy. Sometimes other people got grumpy and I got to imagine it's really tricky and you have to have a lot of maturity and understanding when it's, if you have to go to your job, you have to go to your job and trying to function as like a high level group when it can't be the number one thing on everyone's priority. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And one of the things we tried, there was a couple of ways we tried to mitigate those, uh, factors that we couldn't control one was a group google calendar where just mm-hmm. everybody puts their their out of office so to speak or unavailability um which obviously changes and and some of it might just be hey i'm going to be on vacation i know this eight months in advance other times it would come up a week or two before of oh i my other band has a gig all of a sudden i can't do rehearsal or whatever it might be but trying to keep that communication flowing and and by no means is any group ever going to be amazing at that. It just doesn't happen. And we were far from it, but it helped. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing being we would every now and I, I want to say maybe we weren't as regular as we had planned on being. But one of the things we uh, intentionally planned to practice was one or two rehearsals a month where we would switch parts and everybody would try mm-hmm. and learn one or two other parts and just sing through songs um, so that if somebody was missing we could, in theory, juggle it. And we tried to make arrangements that were a little more flexible. So if there was six of us, maybe for a good portion of that arrangement, it was five parts. Or we knew which part was least important. So yeah. that if somebody had to jump around, we could do that. And then we also had a stable of a couple regular subs that could jump in and learn stuff last minute. Oh, that's really smart. The idea of people learning different parts 
that is something I had never considered. And I think obviously it makes sense when you can double something or you have, you know, it's a four part song and you have seven people, but that's a, I think that's a really ingenious way to handle that, to make sure you're always flexible and you can always handle what life kind of throws at you. And the thing that we would kind of do is, and I told this to the guys, everyone here at some point will probably have some giant thing come up. A pet's going to, oh, maybe not a pet, but like a grandma's going to die. Like you are going to have to study for this test or you fail everything or something comes up and recognizing those things will be a thing. But because we know that will happen for each of us at some point, being super on top of it when we know we can be there. Basically being so proactive that the only reason you are missing rehearsals is because you absolutely have to. That kind of makes sense. It does. And that was actually a part of the reason for the the shared Google calendar, right? Is that everybody could see it on their phones. Everybody could see, like we knew we had rehearsals every Tuesday, period. But every month or every other month, we try and schedule a couple additional rehearsals just to get up to speed or just do some recording or whatever it might be. But if you put that on the calendar and everybody can just look at their Google calendar real quick and go, oh, I have recording this weekend or I have rehearsal or whatever it might be, it helps. It does not solve all the problems, but it's definitely helpful. And, and again, back to the people trying to learn other parts, we weren't going for perfect. We were going for good enough that as long as we're having yeah. fun, the audience will have fun. That's smart. That's really smart. And I'd encourage, uh, you know, groups listening to try that because I'm, I'm just still comprehending that like, whoa, you could do that. I mean, I, the closest I came was I arranged a lot of the stuff for our group last year and we had like all our parts there, except we were missing two tenor twos for one performance. So I learned the tenor two part just because I had arranged it. So I already knew it, but trying to do that consciously, that's putting another safety net there. And I think that's really smart, especially for post-collegiate groups when you are going to have things that get in the way that you just can't get out of. So that's, I think that's great. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to pass it over to Amanda Tran with her segment, Notable Coverage. We've been talking to Brian Kirkness today, all about Restless Vocal Band, how you handle just being in a post-collegiate group and all the challenges with that. So we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, online at acaville.org. Acaville, a wall of sound you won't want to break down. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Notable Coverage, here only on Tacapella on Acaville Radio. I'm your host, Amanda Tran, and for episode 17, we're going to listen to Viva La Vida. For some reason, if your group has been around for at least 10 years now and you haven't done Viva La Vida, well, that's pretty much a rarity because there is pretty much a Viva La Vida for every single acapella group that exists out there. And they're all pretty much direct transcriptions of the song, except for maybe different syllables for that very iconic violin sound at the beginning of the song that you guys hear. I'm always wondering why groups always want to seem to do the same song. Every time you attend a festival or a competition, there's always at least two or three song repeats, and we don't know why. The songs, there's so many popular songs out there. Why aren't they choosing other ones? I think it definitely boils down to the arranger of the groups. A lot of times, groups will have sound identities, and but those identities, especially in collegiate groups, evolve and change over time as music directors and arrangers change and learn and grow as well, even if they are the same people. Um, that being said, when you are in the process of choosing a song to arrange, you have to take into consideration so many factors, how many people in your group, the voice parts, 
the ability of your singers, their ability to emote, their ability to give dynamic and feeling to the songs, and also just your own imagination and creative spark within each of the songs. You may hear a song on the radio and you get really inspired by it, or you just hear a song and you're like, that would be super easy to arrange. So there's definitely a lot of a, a lot of factors that go into the arrangement, obviously, but the song selection is so key. Um, for a song as iconic and memorable as Viva La Vida, I think it's very hard to create an arrangement that brings a unique and creative spin to the song. If you change it too much, it doesn't sound like the song anymore. If you don't change it at all, it just sounds like a transcription. So that being said, you should no longer do Viva La Vida. I even found versions of it posted a year or two years ago, and they pretty much sound exactly the same across the board from the past 10 years or however long the song has been out. That all being said, I'm going to leave you with a version of Viva La Vida by the incomparable Noteworthy from Brigham Young University. This is their all-female group that was featured on the sing-off, which is super cool. But the studio version, I felt, was probably one of the best productions. It definitely gave a lot of dynamic and showed some creativity in the arrangement. Also, the soloist was an alto, so team altos. Girls killed it. Here you go. I used to rule the world Seas would rise when I gave the word Now in the morning I sleep alone Sweep the streets I used to own so much for tuning in to notable coverage this week again my name is amanda tran if you guys have any requests any questions any suggestions any song requests definitely hit me up on social media my handle is at amanda tran rocks that's at amanda tran r-o-c-k-s and i look forward to talking with you guys again next week thanks guys bye And welcome back to Talkapella. Hey, everybody. This is your host, John Lampus, talking with Brian Kirkness, a restless vocal band today, all about post-collegiate groups and the experiences they have to deal with and the obstacles they face. And it's it's been really fun. And I'm learning a lot today about how you handle that stuff. So, Brian, earlier you mentioned that you were really influenced by the groups, uh, the Coats, Impact, and a couple others. And I'm curious, when you came into Restless Vocal Band, you're obviously bringing those influences with you. What was it like for people who came in with different influences or people, whether they were a different age or were coming from a different background, what was it like coalescing as a group when you're all influenced by different acapella groups? Well, and and that's a great question. Um, initially, the founding five people kind of all had the same influences, which mm-hmm. made it really easy when we're doing arrangements and and coming up with songs that even if we're just doing covers of other groups' arrangements, which I think is a great way for a new group to get started. Definitely. Um, we all loved the same groups and loved the same songs, so it worked out really well. But as we grew and the members changed, uh, that 
that changed pretty drastically. Um, we ended up with a membership that had almost a 20-year age difference between the youngest and oldest member, which is pretty sizable when you're looking at musical influences. Um, so we had us old-timers who were very influenced by the original House Jacks and the original Impact. Um, and then we had some of the new people coming in who were more influenced by pentatonics and a lot of the collegiate groups that were rising. Um, and so trying to remedy the the differences there and or come up with arrangements that really interested everybody was a challenge. Um, and there was a lot of conversations behind it. Sometimes you just, uh, and I'm sure every group goes through this, but <laughs> you just suck it up and like, all right, that's a decent arrangement. I don't love it, but the rest of the band loves it or the audience will love it. We'll do it. And, and there was definitely times where we'd work on arrangement for a while and go, you know what, this just isn't right for us. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's not right for the audience or we'd love something and realize, oh, you know, we'd play it a few times and see that the audience maybe didn't love it as much as we did or vice versa. Um, we had a few songs in the set that we knew were audience pleasers no matter what, even if we were kind of kind of over them. Yeah. Um, but once you see the audience get going and having fun and singing and dancing, you can you can kind of let that go. But it is a challenge. It's an ongoing conversation. I think one of the biggest challenges, and, and this doesn't stick with just acapella, this is in personal relationships and work relationships, is being able to be honest about what you are and are not enjoying about the dynamic. But it's it's also a difficult conversation to have if you don't have the trust in the in the group and in the relationship. Absolutely. And I bet that's tricky when Again, with an organization like an acapella group, there is rotating members. I know with, I was really lucky, I think for two or three semesters in undergrad, we had the same kind of core group. So what we wanted to do was always pretty, it was always pretty cool. Like, okay, we're going to go this way. And we'd have ideas, but we always had a pretty clear goal. So obviously the kind of heart of this is arrangements. This is a piece but you want to sing it this way. I want to sing it this way. Did you guys arrange pieces together? Would you go off and do it and then bring it to each other? How did that work out? We kind of had a mix. Early on, it was uh, predominantly one person and or um, group arrangements of just, hey, we want to cover this song. Somebody has a couple ideas and we figure it out together. And those were the arrangements that were typically more true to the original. Um, as As we grew... Um, Sean Braxton specifically is like the master of the mashup and does not like doing a song straight because he always hears, oh, we could throw in this part or we could throw in this from another song. And he got more into arranging for us. And, and we came to rely on him a lot, especially for the more creative arrangements. We had one or two other people who could do a, a really solid lift, but not what I would necessarily say is like a very unique arrangement. But there was always group input. We would always, somebody would bring something to the table. Hey, I want to do this. Here's the arrangement. Or I want to do this and I have some ideas, but I can't arrange it. Is everybody interested? If everybody was interested, we'd sit down and try to do it together. Or one of the arrangers would go off and do it. But once they bring it back, we'd sing through it. People would give feedback. Hey, what if we change this section or just a couple notes in my part or X, Y, Z? Uh, again, we, we always had a lot of honesty um, that I hadn't experienced prior in any other group and that was one of the things that i think really made us successful in the way we were and one of the things that i think is going to keep them being successful but it's those are tough conversations to have because i know a lot of arrangers will come in like nope i arranged it exactly how i want it don't mm -hmm. don't talk about it <laughs> I've been um, there. yeah <laughs> and everybody's got their opinions right yeah. so at least hearing people out is um a big bonus even if you can 
nicely shut them down. (laughs) (laughs) I I definitely get that. So would you arrange any pieces on your own? Not for Restless. I did bring in one arrangement. Um, I used to do a lot of kind of lifts and then I got away from that as I started to handle more business stuff. And I And I was never great at it by any stretch. I could do an okay lift. And I did bring in one or two for Restless. I don't think any of those ever made it public, though. But they weren't arranged specifically for Restless. They were things I had laying around. And I thought, oh, maybe this will work. And I'd bring it in. like, no, this will not work. (laughs) Um, And I think arranging for your specific group versus pulling in arrangements that are laying around makes a huge difference. Not that they both can't work, but when you understand the voice parts and the people behind those voice parts, it brings a lot more to the arrangement than just writing the notes out. Totally. I've seen a couple of groups who I feel like take the extreme on both ends. And I saw a group in, um, I can't remember, way back when, where they're like, we do all of our own arrangements. And that was neat, but no one in the group was a good enough arranger to take advantage of their group skills or like custom fit it enough. So while they do a bunch of their own arrangements, they weren't great. They were just kind of like, okay, you're doing your own arrangement. I remember someone was like, yeah, they do their own arrangements and that's why they're all lame. And I was like, whoa, okay. But there is a sense of like, don't arrange for your group just because you want to be like super independent or you have this idea of we have to do this. Arrange for your group because it's the way you will get the best arrangement. And I had a similar thing where I I think for like the first two or three months of my undergrad group, we just did arrangements that my friends did or we had because I knew I wasn't a good enough arranger to, if I did arrange, like I wouldn't know what to do. Like, okay, this guy's a decent singer and that guy's a decent singer. So I'll just write this. And then we moved forward and we did arrangements that were made specifically for us. And I kind of started to understand like, oh, our bass has a really good like tone right here, so I'm going to emphasize that here. Or I know our tenors can go crazy high in their falsetto, so we're using that. And then I've seen groups who only use other people's arrangements, and because of that, they don't have a strong sense of identity. The It just feels like covers. There's a group I saw, they do just a ton of pentatonics covers, and that's cool, and they sound good, but again, it just sounds like a cover, and which is weird in that acapella is mostly covers anyway. So it's one end. There's if you do arrangements that are already out there, one, you don't have to arrange it yourself. And it's probably like pretty solid. It's singable. It's not like a garbage fire, which some of mine have been. But the risk you run is it doesn't feel like you if you do too much of that. And the opposite end is you arrange All your arrangements are for your group specifically, so you get kind of very specific about how your group's strengths come through and you highlight those while covering some of the weaknesses. But the con of that is if you aren't a good enough arranger to arrange like that, then it might not be a good enough arrangement on its own. So there's definitely a duality here. So you mentioned, Brian, that you guys would have different influences and they would sometimes clash or they would sometimes not line up. Do you have any examples of like arrangements or influences that you had that either worked or didn't work for your group and people's opinions on those? Yeah. I mean, uh, just to address what you were saying real quick about the covers versus original arrangements, we actually did quite a mix. We had a two hour set that you could, we could show up and do two hours of music, which is not easy to do, especially acapella. And I would say we had our core set, like if we had our 30 minutes, those were all original arrangements. Mm -hmm. If we had an hour that would need to be great, maybe 95% original arrangements and one or two covers of groups that we all liked. And we knew it would be would go over well. 
once you get to the two hours, we start throwing in all the doo-wop stuff and, and things that people want to hear and know that are just straight up lifts uh, that have been done a million times. And that, you know, maybe we don't love per se, but again, when you get back to seeing the audience act reaction. And you can do them. You can pull them yeah. out. Yeah. And the doo-wop songs, that's where it's at if you need to cover a lot of time. Like those are mm-hmm. all the same format, same notes <laughs> in the backgrounds. Like you yeah. can learn a lot real fast. But so as far as us having differences in opinions, yeah, I mean, it it came up regularly, actually, because we had such a variety of backgrounds and ages and musical influences. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was definitely like there was a few songs that I really as the beatboxer just would bore me to death or I, I didn't think were entertaining or they were just too long. Like maybe it was a great arrangement, but it's like. We don't need to do the full four and a half minutes that the original did. We can cut off a good two minutes and two and a half minutes, call it good. And that actually led to conversations of what is the what is the right length for a song acapella? And everybody has their own opinion on it. But we found that maybe like two and a half to three minutes is, is solid no matter what. So if people are digging the song or not, it is not going to be too much and or it'll leave them wanting more. Definitely. Um, it, that work for us i can't say that that's the hard fast rule but it took us a lot of planning and and thinking and timing our songs and like all right so we cover bust the move that's x long and people seem to really dig it till about the you know third verse and bust the move acapella that's a hard one like we also did a a macklemore cover acapella like and we did it very well but it can still just get long i mean we've also done um acapella like well, obviously it's all acapella. I don't know why I keep saying that. Um, <laughs> but like Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar on Me, which mm-hmm. has this great beat and intro. If you're a band, if you're an acapella group, it turns out that gets old really fast. And you kind of have to learn some of those lessons as you go because there are songs that the band will be like, yes, this is amazing. And then you get out in front of people and they're like, no, it's not <laughs> amazing. Or if you, if you think you're being too clever, um, like we did a mashup of... Uh, I can't even remember what it was now. Michael Jackson and something else. Um, I should remember it because it was my mashup. But um, <laughs> and we loved it. We thought it was great. We made this this Michael Jackson tune very jazzy, and it was clever musically. And the audience just did not care. They just wanted to hear Michael Jackson the way Michael Jackson sang it. So you have to learn some of those lessons, and sometimes you have to say, "Hey, we're doing this one's for us, everybody." And other times you have to, as a group, say. One person going, hey, I really, I just, I don't like it. Here's why I don't like it. Either can we find a replacement or I am willing to suck it up or can we make these adjustments so that I'll enjoy the song more? And it might just be because my part only has three notes the whole song (laughs) or I just really don't like the style of music or whatever it might be. When you have a lot of people with varied musical backgrounds, it makes it tough. And again, it's that open, honest communication that, I've not had in in a lot of groups because you're often afraid of hurting people's feelings and restless actually had that. And it was, it was really unique and awesome. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think with any acapella group, there is going to be like, Hey, I want to do this. You guys want to do this. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss and hash it out. And I think especially with new groups or collegiate groups, especially collegiate groups, it's really easy to keep that all like deep inside. Like, there might be people who've sung my arrangements who think they are just crap, but I've never heard about it. So maybe I can't fix it or maybe we can't have that discussion. And with acapella groups, especially young groups, especially groups you started or collegiate groups, it's super important to have that open communication because they can get toxic very easily. It can get 
um, whether it's kind of catty or it can get people talking behind each other's backs or just this general feeling of dissatisfaction. And if you're not able to kind of do what you said and risk hurting someone else's feelings for the sake of the group, then the group is going to suffer and everyone's feelings are going to be hurt because you didn't want to say something. And I've also seen the, um, seems to be a theme here. I've also seen the kind of reverse of that where like they're talking about the arrangement so much like it's arranged and it's like, Hey, this is solid. And they, I saw this group and they just kept changing it over and over. And they spent so much time basically rearranging the whole song that they just didn't get enough rehearsal time on it. And they never, because they didn't sing the original arrangement like long enough, they didn't see like there's someone was like, yeah, I don't really like how this feels or whatever. Like they didn't put in enough time for it to get to the point where it's complete and say, Oh, I didn't like it originally. Now that we're done with it, I see how it works. And there's and there's a dichotomy to that. And there's definitely a middle ground of trying to see something through so you understand how it works. Because if, I don't know, you only have two of the parts or three of the parts and you're trying to learn it, it's probably not going to sound like it's supposed to. And someone might just say, yeah, that's a bad arrangement versus recognizing the inherent like foundations of the arrangement are flawed and trying to fix it. But trying to rearrange something while you're in rehearsal, that's tricky. It sounds like you guys uh, struck a really good balance on tweaking, but not like overhauling the whole thing while in rehearsal and making sure people's opinions were heard. Uh, I would say generally, yes, that's true. There was definitely <laughs> um, a couple songs here and there that that was not the case. In fact, we did a cover of Use Me that we came up with on stage, improved it when we were short for time uh, at a gig, and it turned out quite well. So the next week we went into rehearsal, learned it the way we had done it on stage, like really locked it down. And then I think over the next couple months, there was a rehearsal. We decided to try and make some really big changes to it, and uh, we only performed it once again after that because the changes we made kind of ruined the, the flow of it. We overthought it and tried to make it all, I don't know if it's like cool or jazzy or, or whatever it was, but the additions we made were actually not good in the long term. They were cool at the moment. We're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But it actually interrupted the flow of the song. It didn't, it didn't fit. Not everybody was bought into it and not everybody was vocalizing that. So, but in general, yes, we, we had the good conversations and made things work. Yeah. And obviously I think the the big thing you keep touching on is like, what does the audience think? And how much should you take that into consideration? You mentioned, we're doing this song for ourselves, or we're doing this song for the audience. And I think as long as you have a mix, people will like, like everyone's going to be satisfied. It's about striking that right balance. Um, when I programmed pieces, I always tried to like have a, not a gimmick, but an edge to it. Like, oh, this is an original acapella tune, or this is like from Game of Thrones. So we're like, we're we're running the gamut of there's something for everyone here. And I usually find that to be the safe approach, but it's tricky in that there were some songs that people would be like, yeah, this is our song and we love it. And the audience was like, yeah, that's cool. Do a Justin Bieber again or something like that. And I guess I wonder like, how much should we be listening to the audience and how much did that dictate it? Because I've performed pieces somewhere that people did not like. And I was like, all right, guess we won't do that again. Then we performed it somewhere else. And it was like the smash hit. So it's a question of how much are you performing for the audience or are you performing for yourself? And I'm not sure there's a clear answer. No, there's not. I think we approached it a little differently, though. Uh, we tried to know our audience before we performed. Um, so if you're doing a retirement at home, yeah, the doo-wop yeah. stuff's probably going to kill. But the Bieber, not so much. 
Although you'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> versus if you're doing a, a college gig, doo-wop, eh, they're going to love a couple of the songs because everybody knows it and likes to sing along, but that's not what you should be focused on. Um, and, and we had different sets set up for different audiences. That's smart. Which, again, it, it took time. And, and you can't always know your audience in advance. Sometimes you have to read the room. And if you have... If you have more music prepared than you have time, you can make those adjustments on the fly. Uh, if you don't, then you're just going to have to to do what you do and love it. And if you're having fun and loving it, generally the audience will get into it. Yeah. There definitely be times if you show up at a, I don't know, a bar and you're singing all classical tunes, probably not going to go over as well. Yeah. But you'd probably know that in advance, I would imagine. Totally. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like you, you can do so much for yourself and so much for the audience. But at the end of the day, why are you on stage? Um, mm-hmm. If you're just singing for yourselves, there's no reason to be on stage. You can keep doing it in your living room and in your garage or your dorm room. If you're doing it to make other people happy and give them joy and, and see the excitement and see them get worked up, then yeah, you want to be more in tune with what they are looking forward to and looking to hear and what, what they're enjoying from your show. Absolutely. I can think of no better way to wrap up our uh wrap up our second segment here uh we're gonna be right back here on Tacapella. we're gonna pass it over to aaron mccullough with her segment across the pond all about uk acapella and brian and i are gonna be right back you're listening to community supported acaville radio streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org acaville filling your ears with voices since 2013 Hi, I'm Erin, I'm from the University of Bath, and this is Across the Pond. Across the Pond is about bringing you highlights and everything you need to know about UK acapella, including spotlights on groups, events, and the general culture of the community here. So if you've been listening for the past few weeks, you would have heard some spotlights on groups such as Vogue Collective, who were at the Open, All the King's Men, Collaborate. Um, We've been talking about the Edinburgh Fringe, about the UK Acapella Ball, all all sorts of things. Um, This week, I kind of want to talk about something a little bit more general. It's the start of the year for us. UK universities start a lot later than American universities, so we're all sort of starting now, the beginning of October, which is quite late compared to American colleges. So this is sort of the time that everything's kicking off. All of the groups have their auditions and callback phases. And it's also a really exciting time for us to choose our goals for the year. So that's sort of what I want to focus on, goals and and how do we choose them? And, you know, what, what does success mean here? This is something I've personally been debating in my head quite a lot. I think one of the challenges is um, the scale that we're on. Because there is so few groups here compared to America, the amount of sort of opportunities we have for a performance or competition or um, events that'll push us as musicians are few and far between really. So personally, my group Aquapella, two years ago we did the ICCAs and last year we did a UK tour and we also did the Voice Festival UK, which is sort of a competition that would come as close to, I guess, NAC. It's close to that. It's just a, it's another competition basically, but it's only on a national scale here. So 
for the past few years we've we've done the competitions i'm really i'm really proud that we've we've won both competitions and we did a uk tour and we've done edinburgh finn shows for four years so uh, to be honest i'm i'm sort of struggling as the musical director i'm a bit at a loss of sort of what else we can do and what's what's new the group sort of want to do the iccas again i don't mind doing the iccas again but the fact that we've done it i think we've done it for three years it's just a bit of a struggle because it would be fun for the new members of the group but also we've sort of done we've done that and having to come up with sort of new ideas and new goals for the year is it's proving to be to be a little bit difficult and of course we could say well let's release loads of content and let's do loads of videos our overarching goal for the year is an album that we're working on at the minute but of course that's not going to take up all of our time it's not going to take up rehearsal space for example you know we'll just be working on music as we as we usually would so that's where we're currently at and it'd be nice to know what your group is thinking and what you you guys are doing because September and October always feels like the start of a new chapter it's the start of a new year and w- what are new things that we could be doing actively maybe outside of the acapella community um, to really push us forward I would love to know your thoughts on this if you want to tweet at Acaville Radio with any ideas we've we sort of brainstormed and we said why don't we try get stuff on tv it's just a balance really isn't it of enjoying yourself as a group and as individuals but also trying to push the group forward and do fresh new fun things so I'm not I'm not really sure if you have any ideas I would love to know what what you think um, I guess it's also a really good time for change. I'm always up for changing things up, but having been in this community for five years now, I, I feel a bit stagnated. Um, where do we go next? How do we keep pushing forward in a community that is not limited, but it's it's just small, so small and niche. So what 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 can we do to maybe improve the community and push it forward and make it make it bigger um if your group have gone through a stage like this where you're sort of not sure what you want your goals what you want your motivation for the year to be it's kind of a weird situation to be in but i would love to hear from you and we can we can learn from each other and we can take from each other's experiences so do let me know i'd love you to get in touch next week Hopefully we will be talking about auditions and callbacks and the sort of struggles that we go through here. At our university, there only is one acapella group. It's it's very, very different the way that we sort of have to operate our auditions and callbacks. Um, so I'll be talking to someone in our group about that. Um, so do tune in then. And thank you for listening. This has been Across the Pond with Erin. And welcome back to Tacapella, Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. I'm your host, John Lampus, talking with Brian Kirkness today, all about post-collegiate groups arrangement, how you bridge the gap between different acapella styles and how you deal with that in a group. So we've covered a lot of stuff here today. So Brian, uh, I'm really curious, and we end our most of our episodes this way. If you had any advice you could give to aspiring acapella singers out there or someone just starting a post-collegiate group or whatever, what would you say? Advice I would give to somebody starting a post-collegiate group. Have a clear vision. Know what your influences are. If there's a group you aspire to be more like than some other group, maybe start with some covers of theirs and, and be able to communicate that vision to other people you're you're trying to recruit. Um, it's a lot easier if everybody has a similar, not exact same vision, but similar vision. 
Uh, and the most important thing other than being organized with scheduling and, and all that, I think, is being able to share responsibilities. It's not going to work out, I don't think, in the long term if the same person is handling all the business aspect and all the musical aspect and the staging and arranging um, and sound and whatnot. And realistically, that person wouldn't be the best for all of that. Just like any team you might be building, you want to find people who are, are good at their specific roles. And so maybe you have one or two arrangers in the group and one person who handles the business side of it and one person who handles the staging side of it and, and people who just show up and sing. And that's awesome. Um, but I think the biggest piece of advice I have is remember, it doesn't have to be musically perfect. You just have to have fun. And when you're having fun performing, the audience will have a blast as well and join you on that journey. I could go on and on about all the missteps I've made, but I won't um, because you'll make your own and, and there's always something different. A couple last minute shout outs. If you need a mashup of any type, contact Sean Braxton from Restless Vocal Band. That guy is incredible. Um, and, and I'll give a shout out to Restless again just because I really believe in them. There's a lot of killer groups in Seattle right now, but I'll always have a soft spot for Restless. Awesome. And then everyone, you can get a hold of me always in the same place at John Lampus, J-O-H-N-L-A-M-P-U-S on Twitter and Instagram. Brian, thanks so much for coming on today. It was awesome to hear about your acapella journey and also like these really awesome bits of information and like just kind of key ideas that I'm definitely going to take to heart, whether that's learning people, like learning other people's parts or using a Google calendar or just how you manage all this stuff. So so thank you very much for coming on today. This was uh, one of the episodes where I've really learned a lot. Well, absolutely. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Awesome. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Tacapella. I'm going to pass it over to Lisa Hawkins for her segment, Asking for Directions, and that'll be it. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Brian, for coming in. And for everything acapella, please stay tuned. Hello, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and welcome to Tacapella's mini-segment, Asking for Directions. So in the previous episode, we talked about the vocal pyramid of warm-ups, and today, I want to continue talking about warm-ups because I believe they're the most important part of a rehearsal. There are so many elements that go into a warm-up that are often overlooked. For example, why do we do warm-ups? To warm up the voice, sure, but why do we have to do it together? And like we said before, a warm-up sets the tone for the entire rehearsal, and yet we kind of brush it aside and try to get through it as quick as possible. So I want to talk about what I think are the most important things to keep in mind when doing a warm-up. I think to a lot of singers, warm-ups have become meaningless and unimportant because we don't really understand it. And as a music director, if you can't explain why you're doing a certain warm-up, don't do it. Before you start the group on a warm-up, do an example of it then address at least one, but preferably multiple goals of that particular exercise. One, this will bring in the focus of the singers, and two, now all of a sudden there's a goal and a purpose to that warm-up. The ultimate goal of warm-ups is to set the mood for success, so choose your warm-ups wisely, and you want to choose warm-ups that address issues your group has had in the past. I can't talk through all the steps of an efficient warm-up because that would be an entire long class, but I can talk about the most important points. So, the first important step to an efficient warm-up is the very beginning. The first thing you want to do is get everyone on the same page for the rehearsal, right? 
So a great way to do this is with an energizer or a focus exercise. You can determine which one to use in the beginning when your singers walk in. If they're hyper, don't start with an energizer. Use a brain exercise like, like a mirror game to get the singers focused by forcing them to respond to others' movements. But regardless of whether it's an energizer or a focus game, it's physical. And this is important because good singing is physical singing. And you want your singers to move while they're performing, right? So warm up doing so. Plus, it's a fun way to start off the rehearsal. The second most important thing is unifying. Unifying vowels, consonants, diphthongs, dynamics, breathing, everything. In acapella, barbershop, really all kinds of group singing in Western cultures, we're looking for that wow moment when the chord just rings, right? You know when it happens because you feel it. But those don't just happen. Sometimes they do, but if you want them to happen consistently, that skill is rehearsed. And probably the most important place to rehearse it is in the warm-up. That ringing feeling doesn't come from blend. It comes from being unified. If you can be unified in the way that you move through your words and phrases, that'll definitely set your group up for success in so many ways. For example, the word my. My has a voice consonant, m, a vowel, a, and a diphthong. E. Naturally, these are all going to be at different volumes, right? The my, the ah, when you're singing is going to come out a little bit more. So you have to practice navigating through those as an ensemble at the same dynamic, same intensity, and same timing. You can practice this by using a word similar to this, or maybe a word that your group is singing often, and go through it slowly and gradually work towards going at performance speed. And again, make sure the singers know exactly what they're doing and what the end goal is so you can address the issue and they'll know when it's working. The last important thing I want to address today is the use of pianos. It is habit now to constantly have the piano playing our notes through a warm-up, but this is such a huge crutch for singers and it kind of encourages them not to think because the note is constantly being played for them. Not the way you want to start off a rehearsal, right? You want them to think. Other than your starting pitch, a piano really shouldn't be necessary. Like, the singers don't need to hear all the notes of the chord. They can find it. So when you exercise vertical tuning, like tuning chords, right, they are forced to listen and tune to each other. Same thing when you're doing horizontal tuning, which is tuning each note of a melody, making sure that the intervals between the notes are tuned correctly. Also, I highly recommend a tuning app that tells you how sharp or flat you are to use during your warm-ups. There are plenty of apps out there you can use, but one I really recommend is TE Tuner. It's really user-friendly and it's a machine telling them whether they're singing sharp or flat, not a person. So it's non-judgmental feedback, which is great for you because then they won't be upset when you tell them they're flat or sharp. You can just show them. Like if you tell the soprano section to think higher all day, they won't really know what that means until you really show them what it means. It's a way for them to physically see what they're singing. And I bet you'll see an amazing improvement in finding their tonal center after you, you start doing that. And another great advantage to singing without a piano is that they learn to understand how voices tune to each other because voices tune a little differently than a piano. So if they're tuning to a piano, they'll never really get that, that ring we were talking about because that's just not how voices tune to each other. And I constantly hear the phrase, hey, if we're singing flat, as long as we're doing it together, it's fine. Well you'd actually be pretty amazed at how dull the sound is when the entire en ensemble is like 20 cents flat. But you won't really know the difference if you aren't ever doing it correctly, right? And this is another way that you'll never get that ring in a chord because it just won't happen if it's flat. So, so don't settle. 
take advantage of technology and check your tonal center before and after you finish a song and make adjustments and make note for maybe addressing that in the next warm-up for your next rehearsal. So those are my thoughts on the most important aspects of a good, efficient warm-up. And before you ask, how long should a warm-up be? I'll tell you right now, my answer will always be as long as it takes. Maybe it'll be five to seven minutes, or maybe it'll be 20 to 25 minutes. You know, the moral of the story is if you can't accomplish a goal, don't move on because the issue won't magically disappear when you're working on a song, right? So to wrap this up, the most important aspects of a good warm-up, in my opinion, are getting everyone on the same page via some sort of physical warm-up, two, being unified, and three, refraining from using the piano as often as possible. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into a good warm-up, but if you keep these three things in mind, you'll be another step closer to setting your group up for success. So that wraps it up for this week. Again, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and thank you for joining me on this week's mini segment of Asking for Directions.